All right, thank you, men and women. That was fantastic. Um, if you would take your Bibles and open to Proverbs chapter 5. So Proverbs chapter 5, if you got a copy of, of the bulletin as you were coming in, there's some notes on the back, and we're going to work through the full, the full chapter there with Proverbs, uh, Proverbs chapter 5. I've listed on your notes uh, on the back of the bulletin a couple of other passages in the book of Proverbs that, that deal with this subject we're looking at. Hey guys in the video booth, do you think we're good on the video with the projector? Okay, we'll play it here in just a second, just checking on that. As we get ready to, uh, to start this morning, and, and we get ready uh, to, to transition into the sermon, I want us to pray specifically for First Baptist Church, Bay St. Louis, Mississippi. I know you say, well, why would we pray for that church? What's the connection there? Well, that's where Amanda and I uh, were before we came to Emmaus. We pastored there at First Baptist Base St. Louis, just about an hour east of New Orleans, right on the Gulf Coast. And they've called a new pastor, a man named Brett Frazier, and this morning is his first Sunday there at First Baptist Base St. Louis. So he's, uh, he's getting started uh, with the church there. And then uh, the associate pastor, the youth minister there, a man named James Reardon. James and Mary uh, became good friends for, for me and Amanda, and we had such a great time together. And Mary is, is pregnant right now, but it looks like the baby's not going to, to survive. And so James and Mary are going through this church transition, new pastor there in, in Bay St. Louis, and they're going through a very difficult time. This isn't the first time this has happened for, for James and Mary, and they have handled it with just incredible gospel uh, power is the only way I know to say it. The things that they've shared, uh, sometimes those situations happen, and, and just for protection, we, we turn inward, and, and that's comp- completely understandable, but they've been extremely open uh, and just continuing to point people back to the hope of Christ and, and who God is and being in control and good and loving in the times that are often the most deep and dark uh, in our lives. And so I want us to pray for First Baptist Bay St. Louis uh, and pray for James and Mary. And then we're going to watch a video before we get into the, uh, into the Bible text this morning. So let's pray together as a church family. Father, I pray that as we think upon those psalms about your faithfulness, the hope that we have because of your power, God, I pray that you would prepare our hearts for studying uh, Proverbs chapter five. Father, I pray for our friends at First Baptist Bay St. Louis. I pray for Brett as he begins pastoring there, that you would give him wisdom, you give him love for the people there that means so much to me and my family. And God, I pray for, for James and Mary uh, and for Chloe and Grayson and God, for their hearts during this time. Uh, I know that this has been such a difficult road uh, for them and, and their desire to point people to the hope of Christ in the midst of personal tragedy, tragedy personal pain. Uh, God, I pray that you would guard their hearts, that you would give them strength and peace and hope during this time. And God, for that church, that you would continue to strengthen them. You continue to lead them ahead, even as we move ahead here at Emmaus, seeking to be partners in the gospel with those around us, knowing it's not about us, it's about you and about your kingdom. And so God, as we think about your faithfulness to us this morning, the way that guides our prayers, the way that guides our study of scripture, 
God, would you continue to lead us as we worship you together this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, I recognize that that video is it's very raw. Uh, it's very, very emotional. It could, could bring to, bring to mind either your worst fears, your worst memories. There might even be a part of you that says, what are you doing, Owen? That doesn't belong in church. And you know, it'd, it'd be okay. I'd even hesitate to, to place something like that or, or talk about this if it was okay to hide our head in the sand. You know, if that was an option, let's, let's go with that option. It's not an option, though. The temptations are real. The pain is real. The results of that are real. But the hope is real, too. And the joy of wisdom and the joy of grace and the joy of forgiveness, those things are equally real. And so we come together this morning remembering the love and the unlimited forgiveness and mercy and grace that are found from God through Jesus Christ as his spirit works in us and through us. If you're not a Christian and you're here this morning, you're curious about religion and curious about Jesus, not sure about going all the way and being a follower of Jesus, Some of what we talk about this morning could confirm your worst suspicions about religion. Christians are prudish at best and hypocritical at worst. But but I hope what you'll see this morning is the gift of faithfulness as we think about our relationship with God and our relationship with others. And if you're here as a Christian, I pray that the result of this morning wouldn't be shame or guilt or fear. It would be hope and freedom and healing as we see how God's will is worked out in our life, that that you would be challenged and encouraged to, to fight sin and to fight for holiness and to fight for healing and to know what it is when God is at work in our life and he teaches us who he is and how he desires to work through our lives. So how do we live with faithfulness? We're gonna talk about sexual temptation, but there's a bigger issue at work. Don't for a moment think, I don't struggle with sexual temptation, therefore there's nothing for me this morning. The first is very unlikely, the second I'm sure is not true, because this whole topic is about faithfulness. God's faithfulness to us and our faithfulness to him. Proverbs chapter five, here we go. Proverbs chapter five, starting in verse one. It says, my son, be attentive to my wisdom. Incline your ear to my understanding that you may keep discretion and your lips may guard knowledge. Okay, what's going on here at the beginning of chapter five? Well, there's a reference here to my son, which at this point in Proverbs is not surprising. We've seen this over and over again as Solomon, as the teacher here, the writer of Proverbs, is addressing his son. Uh, We're almost getting an inside view of the awkward birds and bees conversation between Solomon and and his son. So he's addressing this conversation to his son very simply because he knows his son is going to face this temptation. He knows he's going to face this challenge, and so he knows he has to address it. You can't just pretend it doesn't exist. It needs to be addressed. The reference to my son, though, doesn't mean that this issue of faithfulness and this issue of sexual faithfulness is only something that men deal with, that sons deal with, we know that it's a, it's a, 
reference to that because of what's happening in Proverbs, but it's broader than that. This is not just a, a male issue. This is a humanity issue about what does it look like to be faithful to God and faithful to others. The irony, though, the irony of this whole situation is that Solomon himself, as the giver of these Proverbs, is kind of the one behind this, depending on how these things came together, but Solomon himself would fall because of sexual temptation, because of sexual sin. His father before him, David, succumbed to sexual sin and sexual temptation. So don't for a moment think ever, I'm above that or beyond that. The moment with any temptation, especially the temptation for sexual unfaithfulness, that we think, that's not me, I'm above that, beyond that, that can never happen to me, is the moment we open ourselves up most heavily to that type of temptation. So no father, no grandfather, no pastor, no teacher, no leader of any kind should ever say, oh, that's not gonna happen to me, I'm above that. I come to you this morning just to be alongside you. This is not one guy telling a whole bunch of other people what to do. This is one guy trying to fight sin for his family and his church alongside you. We're in this together. This is not something I've got to pretend like, hey, I've got it all together. This is a challenge that we face. And so Solomon addresses this with his son because he knows he's going to face it. What does he tell his son, though, in verse 2? He says, well, he says at the end of verse 1, incline your ear, so, so pay attention. Verse 2 that you may keep discretion and your lips may guard knowledge. It depends on the translation, but that word there in the English Standard Version, discretion, so at the end of the first phrase in verse two, that you may keep discretion, is an important word for this whole conversation. Discretion comes from a word that means to make plans, to set out a plan. So you don't address this issue of sexual faithfulness. You don't approach this issue by just dealing with it the moment that it comes. What Solomon is telling his son here in having discretion is discretion is something you plan for ahead of time. You don't decide about it at the moment. Because let's just be frank, if I acted on every thought and every feeling that came to me in my life, my life would be in shambles. And that's true for every one of us. If every sexual thought, if every negative feeling that came, if we acted on those in the moment, we'd be in shambles. And so we're called to discretion. We're called to plan ahead that I don't want to go that way. I don't want my life to be defined by that, and so I'm going to have discretion. And then it says that second phrase, that your lips may guard knowledge. What that phrasing means, your lips may guard knowledge, it means your lips remain pure so that you can communicate that wisdom to the next generation. It's, it's, a, if a, it's a reference to keeping the lips pure, not just for that moment, but in order that you can continue to speak about that generation after generation, that, that wisdom can be passed on. That would be a better, simpler way to say it. That's what it means for lips to guard knowledge. Then in verse three, for the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil, but in the end, she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. All right, here's where it gets a little PG-13. End of verse two references the son's lips 
that should guard knowledge. In other words, remain pure so that you can pass this wisdom on to the next generation. Immediately in verse three, we see lips again, only this time it's not the son's lips, it's the lips of what's called here the forbidden woman in English standard uh, text. So in other words, will the son's lips remain pure in order to pass on knowledge, or will the lips be corrupted by the lips of the enticing woman, the forbidden woman here in, in verse three? And just for a moment here, before we go too far, if you think, man, women are coming off really bad here in, in Proverbs, also don't forget that lady wisdom is female too. So Proverbs puts out, yes, there may be an enticing woman, but equally so, Wisdom itself is personified as a woman in, in Proverbs. And so this is not misogynistic. This is just seeing there's wisdom folly, lady folly in Proverbs, but there's also lady wisdom in the book of Proverbs. So you, you see both of those. But the lips of the forbidden woman drip honey. Um, forbidden there, sometimes is translated adulterous, uh, depending on which translation you're using. But the King James Version wins the translation award here because the King James uses strange. The lips of the strange woman. Who, who is the strange woman? Well, the idea of strange or forbidden just means not your own, the other. This is the idea in life, and it doesn't matter if we're talking about sexual faithfulness or any other number of topics. This is the idea that whatever you don't have looks more appealing than what you have already. We realize how that works, right? Uh, material possessions, spouses, children, job, you name it, in the moment of weakness, what somebody else has always looks more appealing than, than what we have. And, and this is the danger here. The thing that makes this woman so enticing is nothing in particular about her, it's just the fact that she's other, she's strange, she's different. This, in guy world, is what we might call the, the Tony Parker issue. Uh, Tony Parker is a well-known NBA player with the, with the team that plays in San Antonio that we won't name their name from the stage, but uh, he plays for another NBA team. Tony, Tony Parker, though, was married to a woman named Eva Longoria, model, actress, beautiful woman, uh, and with all respect to their situation, they it came into a situation where there was an affair that happened, an adultery that happened. If Tony Parker had an affair when he was married to Eva Longoria, you realize very quickly that these type of situations aren't driven purely by looks. There's always something else going. They're always more complicated than that. What makes this other woman so enticing in this situation is just the fact that she's other and she looks appealing because of that. And we find out one of the things is the lips drip honey. So when she drools, it comes out as honey on the pillow, not as slobber. Like everything is better about this lady. Her lips drip honey, like it's so enticing, it's so appealing. Her speech is smoother than oil. You talk about a smooth talker, this lady has it going on. But what happens in verse four? In the end, she is bitter as wormwood. Sharp as a two-edged sword. What looked like honey, when you taste it, you find out it's actually bitter. What seemed to be smooth talk was only smooth because it was the edge of the sword that was going to cut you. And you get that in verse five. Her feet go down to death. 
Her steps follow the path to Sheol. She does not ponder the path of life. Her ways wander, and she does not know it. What, what's so dangerous about this temptation? What's so dangerous about temptation in general? Well, in verse six, that word ponder, she doesn't ponder the path of life. It's the idea that the path is not weighty. In other words, everything's frivolous, everything's light, there's no weight to life. There's nothing bearing you down to keep you, to keep you straight. When everything's a game, when everything's frivolous, when everything's lighthearted, when somebody comes up to you and says, stop taking holiness so seriously, it's the idea of not pondering it. You're not, you're not feeling the weight of God's salvation, the weight of God's call on your life. So what happens as a result of that? Well, what happens as a result is the end of verse six, it says her ways wander. This is the word for something that's shaky, that's something that goes back and forth. Um, you think about Odysseus returning from, uh, from Troy, going back to be king of Ithaca. He passes by the sirens, and these famous sirens from ancient literature that are trying to draw you one way or the other to crash on these rocks. He says, tie me up to the mast, or, or put something in your ears so you can't hear, because if not, we're going to wonder. We're going to bounce back and forth, and ultimately, we're going to crash on the rocks. We have to stay straight, because if not, verse 5 says, her feet go down to death, her steps follow the path to Sheol. Very simply, James chapter 1, Romans chapter 6, both talk about how sin leads to death. Let me put a couple of verses with this. James 1, 14 to 15. Each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Romans 6, 23 just says, the wages of sin is death. It will always lead you in the wrong direction. The old school preachers would say that sin takes you further than you want to go, keeps you longer than you want to stay, and costs more than you want to pay. And if I had a good old preacher voice, I would use that. But it will take you further than you want to go, it will keep you longer than you want to stay, and it will cost you more than you want to pay. It always leads to death and destruction. So what do you do? What do you do in this? Verse seven. Verse seven says, Now, O sons, listen to me. Do not depart from the words of my mouth. Keep your way far from her. And do not go near the door of her house. First Corinthians, uh, not First Corinthians, yeah, First Corinthians chapter six, verse eighteen says, "Flee sexual immorality." I almost wish it was more complicated at this point. Like we could use a little more detail, a few more concrete instructions at this point. But the father's advice to his son is just don't go close. If you play with fire, you're going to get burned, is, is kind of the idea. Stay as far away as possible. Students, I've asked this question myself many times. The question that I'm tempted to ask is, how much can I get away with? How far can I go? How much can I do and it still be okay with God? And what I can tell you from my own heart is the moment I've asked that question, I'm in completely the wrong spot. Because if it's ever about how far can I go, how much can I do, what can I do and still be okay with God, then what it really is about is how much can I get away with and feel good about on my own and yet God still be okay. That's not the question to ask. The question to ask is, Lord, how can I pursue holiness? How can I live the life that you've called me to live? But that first question is so tempting. 
How much can I do and still be okay? Don't go down the road of asking that question. Verse, uh, verse 10. Is that the right verse? I'm off by one. Verse nine. If you do go near, lest you give your honor to others and your years to the merciless, lest strangers take their fill of your strength and your labors go to the house of a foreigner. At the end of your life you groan when your flesh and body are consumed and you say, how I hated discipline and my heart despised reproof. I did not listen to the voice of my teachers or incline my ear to my instructors. I am at the brink of utter ruin in the assembled congregation. What you see in those verses are the results of folly. You'll waste your life and you'll lose your life. It will deteriorate your judgment. Your judgment becomes dulled. You're not able to make wise decisions. And, and as a result of that, life just kind of breaks down over time to the point, and this is a really interesting way that this verse ends. If you look at the end of verse 14, it says, I'm at the brink of utter ruin in the assembled congregation. What you see at the end of verse 14 is something that started as a private matter this idea that this is just between me and this other person, it ultimately becomes public. What started as a private temptation, what started as a private struggle, because there was no desire to fight against that, because you give yourself over to that, ultimately becomes a matter of public shame. What starts out in your mind as nobody will ever know, this is just between me and this other person, sin always has a way of finding us out in those situations. And it leads to shame, not because God desires to bring shame, because when we follow sin to its end, it ends in shame and guilt and death. So what do you do as a result of that? Verse 15, this is the positive advice. Stay away from the lady was the negative advice. It was the don't do that, but there's always a do that that comes as a positive side. So this is verse 15. Drink water from your own cistern, Flowing water from your own well. Should your streams be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets, let them be for yourself alone and not for strangers with you. So what do you do to remain faithful to God and faithful to others? What do you do to pursue sexual faithfulness? Very simply, you drink from your own well. You, you stay at home. You, you don't take what isn't yours. All of this language that's going on in Proverbs is talking about sexual faithfulness within the context of marriage. So no sexual intimacy before marriage, outside of marriage, fighting against pornography, fighting against lust. And yet we realize there's a bigger picture going on out there as well that we're always prone to want something that isn't ours. We're always prone to what the scriptures call greed. And one of the interesting things, this is where this kind of all comes together about our relationship with God. One of the interesting things you'll find in Scripture is that sometimes God will be called a jealous God in Scripture. God is jealous for the worship of his people. He's jealous for the faithfulness of his people. He's saying, stop chasing after foreign gods. Stop chasing after all these other idols that promise you immediate pleasure but ultimately are not even gods. I am jealous for you. That jealousy that God has for his people is brought here into our relationships with others, where a spouse can look at the other spouse and say, I'm jealous for you. Don't be unfaithful. Don't run after something else. I want to be jealous for you. This is where parents and grandparents say to their kids, 
I am jealous. I will fight for your well-being. I want what is good for you, and so I'm calling you to faithfulness, not because I'm holding you back for something, just because I want what is best for you. I'm gonna be jealous for you. And so there's a focus there on drink from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. Don't scatter this about. It's for you and not for strangers. And then verse 18 begins, and we go upward from PG-13 to something else at this point. So verse 18, let your fountain be blessed. Rejoice in the wife of your youth, a lovely deer, a graceful doe. I mean, we're in Song of Solomon language at, at this point. Let her breast fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. Why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman and embrace the bosom of an adulteress? It's interesting the way that this happens right here because what the teacher is doing, what the father is doing, he's already told the son, run away from the strange woman, run away. He's given this negative advice, but if we're not careful in church, we always tell people what not to do and we forget to tell them what to do. So he says, don't do that, but do this. And he begins to fight pleasure with pleasure. He doesn't fight pleasure with prudishness. He fights pleasure with pleasure. He uses words like blessed, rejoice, breast. He goes all the way. He says, I'm going to fight pleasure with pleasure, which means those of you who are married, those of you who have been married a long time, for the love of God, speak about marriage as if it's appealing. It's no wonder that students have no desire to pursue sexual intimacy in marriage. It's no wonder that the marriage culture is just destroyed sometimes in the life of the church if you listen to the way that church people sometimes talk about marriage. If we talk down constantly about marriage, students will have no desire to pursue God's goodness in the context of marriage because it sounds horrible. If you listen constantly, and I'll just put myself in this camp because we're all prone to it, if we're not careful the way we talk about marriage, it doesn't sound very appealing. And yet what is happening here is when there's a call to sexual faithfulness, when there's a call to being faithful to God, the way you make that call is you put pleasure out there and you say, this is good. When lived within God's will and according to his word it is a good thing. So you're, you're always trying to figure out how do I fight pleasure with pleasure. It even uses the word there in verse 19, become intoxicated always in her love. Uh, it's the word for getting lost in, being captivated. Why should you be intoxicated by another? Get, get lost in the goodness of what God has provided you. And this is one of those places where we can move outside the topic of sexual faithfulness and just start talking about contentment. If you don't struggle with this temptation to sexual unfaithfulness, there's a good chance that you do struggle with the idea of contentment. This idea of always wanting something else, needing something else, thinking that the grass is always greener on the other side of the fence, don't miss God's goodness in your life. Don't miss what he has done in your life. We're always trying to figure out, God, how do I remain faithful? One of the ways we do is we have to understand the good things that he's given us. Verse 21, this wraps it up about how do we pursue this. For a man's ways are always before the eyes of the Lord. And he ponders, this is the word ponders again that we saw earlier in the chapter, he ponders all his past, he feels the weight of it. 
The iniquities of the wicked ensnare him, and he is held fast in the cords of his sin. He dies for lack of discipline, and because of his great folly, he is led astray. This idea here about before the eyes of the Lord, it can sound like God is looking in on our life trying to catch us messing up, but this language about being before the eyes of the Lord, it's actually covenant language. It's language about God's relationship with us. In other words, to know that God is looking on you is not a bad thing when you're seeking to live according to his will. It's a good thing because it says God is watching over my path. It's about our relationship with him, which means, which means that sexual unfaithfulness, lying, drinking, drugs, judging, take all your sins that you want to right there. Those are not the main issue. Those are not the main issue. Those are results of failing to trust and worship and fear God, of, of not being in right relationship with him, of not understanding what it is to walk before his eyes. And so if we're not careful this morning, all we think about is all these sins that are on the surface and we miss what's going on below the surface, because below the surface is the issue of our relationship with God. Are we being faithful to him? Because as that relationship becomes healthy, then it gives us the strength and the energy to begin to think about our relationship with others, about how we relate to those around us, relate to them with faithfulness. And here's what we know, that God's faithfulness is never felt so deeply or never needed so much as when we wonder as when we find ourselves being unfaithful to him or unfaithful to others, and instead of giving up, instead of looking for easy solutions, instead of running the way, in humility, in brokenness, but with hope, we turn to the Lord and say, you are my only hope. It is only in you that I find grace, it's only in you I find healing, it's only in you I find salvation, and so we turn to him, it doesn't mean everything goes away overnight, it doesn't mean that all the temptations go away, but what it does mean is it means we find the source of our salvation. We find the source of our hope. We find the source of our joy. So what you see on your notes there is as the results of wisdom is there's an inward transformation that leads to outward faithfulness and restraint. Once again, just so I'm crystal clear, the goal this morning is not guilt, it's not shame, it's not fear. The goal is that we would understand inward transformation and the way that that leads to outward faithfulness, to outward restraint, to being faithful to God and others. How do you do that? You listen to God's word and the people that he's put in your life. We grasp the consequences of folly, knowing that sin leads to death, that it leads to destruction. We choose joy. We fight for the good things that God has given us as his children in this world, and we hold on to the good news of Jesus Christ. I want to show you this good news in the book of Titus. The book of Titus, verses 11 through 14, provide a summary, provide a summary of what we found in Proverbs chapter 5. Here's what Titus says in chapter 2. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people, no matter how dark your past no matter how secret your present, his grace has appeared to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions 
and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age. How? Verse 13, while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own, eager to do what is good. He redeems us, he saves us, and then he begins to transform our lives. He begins to show us what his character looks like, what his holiness looks like, and then he calls us to that. This morning, I wanna ask you a couple of questions. One, do you know what it is to have a relationship with God through Jesus Christ? If you come to the end of this morning and the main things you sense inside your life are shame and guilt and fear, I want you to know that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That all of that pain, that all of that sin, that all of that darkness Jesus took upon himself. Don't for a minute leave this room trying to carry that yourself. Don't, please don't say, once I get my junk together, I'd really like to come back and know more about God. You will never get your junk together on your own. I can promise you that. But God is gracious, and he is loving, and he is forgiving, and he watches over us so that we know what that wisdom looks like. And then ask yourself, what temptations am I battling? What am I fighting against so I can fight for holiness? Your temptation may not be mine. You may not be battling for sexual faithfulness, but there is something you're battling for. There is something else that looks better than what you have right now, and you're driven to go get that instead of understanding how God's at work in your life. Can I call you to understand the freedom that you have in Christ and the hope and the healing that you have from God so that you can live the life he's called you to live? Together, together, let's experience God's salvation and let's fight for gospel faithfulness. I'm gonna pray for us. We're gonna have a time of prayer following this. If you need to come to the front and just pray, we want you to be able to do that. We're gonna have a song up about God's faithfulness. Maybe the best thing you can do is just sing this song with all your heart. To say, I trust God's faithfulness. I want to live for him. I'm gonna sing this as worship to him. However God's working in your life, we want you to respond right now. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you for the hope that we have because of Christ. Father, because I know my own heart, I know that there are people in this room who are holding on to darkness, who are holding on to secrets in their life that no one else knows about, and it's so tempting just to look the other way, to pretend that doesn't exist, to keep going in life. God, let us not live that way. Let us turn to you for hope and healing. Let us turn to others so we don't have to live two lives so that we can seek reconciliation, so we can seek faithfulness. God, we thank you that Jesus on the cross took all of our sin, all of our pain, all of our darkness, that we would know life and know it abundantly. Father, help us to receive that this morning, and we pray this in Jesus' name, amen.